You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey there, everybody. How you doing? I want to take just a minute here and talk to you about our wonderful and beautiful folks over at Sinusoid. Sinusoid Custom Guitar Cables. I want to talk specifically about their Slate instrument cable. It was designed in-house from the ground up. Everything from how it slides on the floor, to the amount of capacitance it has, to how it feels in the hand. Everything about it was designed by the boys in-house. And if you want to hear a little bit more detail on actually the process behind how they do things over there. It's, it's a lot different. It's a lot more involved than what you might think. And so uh, if you want to hear a little more about that, I did an episode with Andy here, I don't know, 10 episodes ago or so. Andy, the guy, uh, the head honcho over there. And he goes into some detail about the actual process, about how they how they go about designing things and what kind of the thought process is behind it. And it's it's really interesting. It's a lot more than what I expected and I think you will be pleasantly surprised as well. It's very, very cool. So go to sinusoid.com, check out the slate. You'll like it. I also want to talk to you about Gun Street Wiring Shop. You checked them out yet? You haven't? Why? Why have you not checked out Gun Street Wiring Shop yet? Your guitar, that one over there with the scratchy pots, it needs fixed. You don't need this in your life anymore. You don't need the pain and heartache of bad guitar electronics. You need good guitar electronics and you need good customer service because, you know, if you're anything like me, it can be a little bit challenging to do soldering and electrical work. I've, I've not really done that much of it, but even I was able to install the harness in my Les Paul. And if I can do it, you can do it. And Gun Street is there to help. That's, that's part of why they're so awesome. Sean really helps through the whole process, not just Hey, sell your harness and see you later. He's there to support you if you have any questions or you need any assistance. That's what he's all about. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check out their wares. And if you don't see exactly what you want, shoot them an email. They can make it happen. I know this from personal experience. GunStreetWiringShop.com Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Wylan, and with me today, I have Mr. Matthew Hoops of 1981 Inventions and Reliant K. How's it going? It's going good. It's both of those things. It Both of those things are <laughs> yeah, yeah. splendid? All right. Both of my, uh, yeah. Endeavors. That's wonderful to hear. Yes. You've been a busy man. We we did a quick catch up before uh before we hit the hit the mic so to speak. 
you've you've been up to a whole lot of shenanigans in the last year or so. Yeah, life has really changed for me in almost every way, you know, uh, since getting married and uh, my wife has a lot of kids from another, uh, from before. And uh, it's been an amazing time, uh, but a lot different. And, uh, you know, we moved in that time and remodeled a house and it's a, uh, it's been a cool thing. So, and yeah. I started building guitar pedals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You had a band uh, for a while. Let's uh, let's maybe let's use this as an opportunity before we we go off yeah. the deep end, as you and I have already demonstrated a very strong ability to do. It's easy. Um, it's easy. Yeah. It's it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's take a quick step back and maybe for some of the listeners who may not be familiar, like kind of go through your musical backstory and what led to you know the current state of things. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I know that's a long story. For some, yeah, I'll, I'll try to make it very, very quick. Uh, don't, no, no, we, we got all the time in the world. Go for it. Oh, Go deep. It's, it's no big deal. Uh, well, I met Matt in second grade, and uh, <laughs> it's actually true. Uh, we were in church choir together, and oh, nice. uh, then when we were in high school, we both started picking up the guitar around the same side, around the same time. We were probably like 14, 15 years old, and also, around the same time, we both got obsessed with, like, punk rock music, and which to us at the time was, like, you know, Blink-182 and Green Day and stuff like that. Um, right. You know, MXPX, uh, things like of that nature. And we both just got obsessed with it. We both would just go to shows all the time. And um, all this time, we were learning to play guitar and learning how to play our favorite songs. And uh, we just kind of started playing together together. Uh, pretty early on you know uh, we played together for probably a year before we started playing with a drummer even you know we would just kind of jam guitars together and uh you know eventually kind of moved to a you know matt started putting together more finished songs and we kind of started you know doing things and we made a recording and we got a, a offer for a record deal and we were like okay yeah let's keep doing this so we started doing shows and um just kind of how did, how did that happen? Generally, generally people don't just start writing songs and then get a record deal. How did that? How did that? <laughs> yeah, happen? it's it's pretty weird. Uh, we met a guy locally who was a guitar player. He played guitar for DC Talk, uh, the old Christian band, and um, they he he did a demo for us early on. And when uh, he was on the road with DC Talk. Uh, Toby, the singer of the band, was asking him about, uh, you know, things that he'd been producing. And so he showed him a few things. And then Toby said, well, wh wait, what's the other CD in your bag? You know, this is like the 90s. And uh, he was like, oh, that's just some kids from my neighborhood. You don't you don't want to listen to that. It's it's no big oh. deal. And, <laughs> oh, no. and so so Toby put it on and Toby was like, no, no, I do want to hear it. I do want to hear it. The cover looks interesting to me. It was like this like clip art version of uh uh, some sort of like truck or digger or something. I can't remember some sort of forklift or something. <laughs> I can't remember what was on the cover, but uh, the uh, so he put it, he put it on and Toby was like, Oh, I feel this. And he started flipping through the tracks and he said, he said, this, this album's going to sell six figures 
And Mark was like, haha, yeah, whatever. And so, right. but anyway, yeah, Toby was serious. He, he really, uh, you know, Toby's been in our corner, you know, just, uh, he's such a, such a good friend and a trusted, uh, you know, colleague, uh, through the last 20 years, really. Uh, and, you know, I still hang out with him we play golf together sometimes. And, uh, you know, he's, he's just been al- always very supportive of what we do, uh, and really kind of advocated for us. And so he uh, helped us get a record deal through his record label, Goatee Records. And, uh, you know, just kind of started from there. And even from that point, we we thought, okay, maybe we'll do an album and tour for a year and then go to college. And, you know, we were like, well, maybe we'll make a second album and tour from there and then go to college. And then we're like, well, I guess we'll make a third now at this point, you know? And so it just, we just kind of kept doing it. Uh, and that was, you know, more than 20 years ago now. So pretty wild. So you did just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep we doing it. We just kept doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been through all sorts of, uh, things over the years, you know, we did, uh, two records with Capitol records, one with RCA, uh, and then back to uh, our own imprint under Goatee, uh, which is called Monoverse Stereo. And we have done the last two records through that outlet. So, so I know, I know we, we try to talk about gear sometimes on this show, but I do find it interesting to talk to, you know, actual musicians who have went out and, and you know, done things and made their living from that, you know, for like you guys did for so long, like, um, so many guys like me are, are just basically hobbyists with a gear obsession. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's interesting for us to talk to, you know, to talk to and hear about the actual professional side of things. And so I would, I'm just kind of curious about the label stuff. How was it different doing the major label things, the capital, the RCA versus your own, as far as positives, and negatives, just like what was, the main differences there? Uh, I think the main difference was uh, when we got signed to Capital, uh, you know, it was, it was all of a sudden we could get on. We did uh, the Tonight Show with Jay Leno three times. You know, we did uh, that whole circuit. We did Conan. We did, um, uh, you know, just kind of all the late night talk shows. We got, we had been trying to get on a warp tour forever and we got on a warp tour like that year. And then we did it again two years later and again three years later, you know? So it just kind of felt like this uh, immediate kind of legitimacy. Uh, but then also, you know, they were they would say things like, oh, we need to do a music video and it needs to cost $375,000, you know? And we were like, what? This is crazy. And uh, I, I felt like... If, at the time, but definitely in hindsight, it was, you know, money was being spent kind of recklessly. And, uh, you know, it was kind of the end of that era when people actually sold albums, you know, like physically recorded products and, uh, iTunes was a thing. And, you know, it was just kind of like a different era. Uh, what time frame roughly was this year wise? This is probably like 2004. Okay. Um, My glory. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, and and even the way that it happened, you know, we had had uh, three albums and two of them were actually like gold certified albums. This is like through Goatee. This is our first, you know, our second and third album. Mm-hmm. And 
so there were major labels that were interested in what and in, in what we were doing, and it probably happened ten or twelve times where uh, I, we'd meet with an A and R guy, the major label. We'd talk about the deal. They would say, "Okay, we'll have you a deal on Monday," and then it would just never come. And we were like, we had kind of just given up on the whole process of it, and we kind of felt like a little bit like outsiders in the music industry. Uh, but also, we felt like you know, we could just kind of continue to do whatever we do, no matter the uh, the context or the la- literally the label that was put upon it. Uh, so we we just kind of kept doing what we were doing. And we put out our album called Mm-hmm in 2004. And it was after that we put out the album. Uh, Goatee was part owned by EMI at the time and Capital owned, was part of EMI. And so literally they just moved that record over to Capitol and they just like told us about it. Uh, it was, it was not even like we had a signing day with Capitol or anything. It was like, they just mo- decided to move it over internally. And we were like, well, okay. So the album came out, we were on tour at the time. And the first version of that record of that CD even, um, doesn't say capital on it but then the second one does and so like we'd never talked to anyone at capital we had never you know it's just kind of a funny story in hindsight that uh it felt almost like adding to the surreal nature of that time uh that it seemed to like not actually physically be happening uh so i remember like first seeing a copy of our album with the capital logo on the back and being like okay yeah i guess this is real you know right they what they told us was true that's, uh-huh, that's yeah, bizarre. So it was funny. So yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of different sides of it. We did an album with uh, our fifth album we did with Howard Benson. It was the one after that. And so that was different working, you know, with like a major producer. Um, you know, he had just done like My Chemical Romance and All American Rejects. And uh, who else had he done? Uh, he, I mean, he's just, uh, you know, a very storied producer, um, you know, everything from like early POD and Marilyn Manson to like, you know, like a lot of pop rock stuff. He did like the Hoobastank record right before that, that was big at the time, you know? So it's just like, I'm really dating, uh, this, this era. Um, but that was like, like I really said, the glory ex- years, man, that was a good time. Yeah. It was a really unique experience for us at the time to, uh, work with a producer in that context, in that type of a studio, uh, in LA, you know, going out there and, you know, literally the records before we had done, um, either in our producer's basement or, you know, just kind of like on our own kind of thing. And, uh, you know, always being budget conscious and, you know, this just felt crazy to go out to LA and, uh, have this experience, but it was, it was overall very positive and, um, I am thankful for it. And, you know, in hindsight, and I'm still, I still keep up with, uh, a lot of the techs and engineers from that, that session. So that kind of is a nice segue into what I was going to ask next. Um, at the, at the time, like, were you always a gear nerd or did that develop later or how, you know, we kind of, we've rapid fired through the the majority of oh, the, yeah, yeah. the process, but like, that, that's a, lot, a lot of our career arc. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but what, uh, was it always a thing that you were into or is that more recent? Uh, no, I'm going to say yes. From very, very early on. Uh, I remember in, it was 98 or 99. We're playing our first shows and I had, uh, 
I was constantly picking our producer's brain, Mark, uh, about gear and about all the things he owned. And, you know, he was just so helpful in like helping me set up things and build cables and build pedal boards. And he was showing me what kind of wood to go buy and then go buy it. He was telling me all these tricks of like, you know, you go buy an old suitcase at the thrift store and then you cut a piece of wood exactly to that suitcase and then you get all this foam and put it in it and then you go buy this industrial Velcro and then you lay out your board and then you put it on there. And, you know, at at that time I was using like power strips, you know, there wasn't really like power supplies, you know, it was just like a different era. Uh, And, you know, I would put every pedal I owned on there, you know, so I had like a wah pedal. I never used a wah pedal during our show, but I had it on on there on the board um and so yeah from very early on i was very interested in all that side of it like understanding what it was knowing uh the difference i was always like i always felt uh like very lucky to be able to pick up one of mark's guitars and put it on a recording uh if i picked up you know his 335 or his strat or his telly uh, or even his acoustic guitar, you know, I felt like, wow, what an honor to play this instrument, you know? And so I always was like, had an appreciation for that. And, uh, pretty early on, you know, I just didn't have any money. Uh, you know, I was playing a seventies Fender Bassman and it was, it's not the worst amp in the world, but for this one was pretty bad. This one that I was playing and I would get it fixed and it just was, still sounding bad and i this will uh just totally bring the humility but i was actually playing a on our first tour when we left for our first tour i was playing a boss metal zone into a 120 watt fender basement and yeah you were yes you were (laughs) it was yeah just disturbing uh but even then i had some sort of tonal sensibility like i knew that it didn't sound that good and you know the the metal zone is so scooped on the mid-range and i remember running the mid-range on the amp you know on like nine or ten you know just to like try to like even things out like i could hear the what i wanted it to be i just didn't i didn't know what to use i didn't have the money i didn't you know i had no experience at the time and uh i think i i bought a soft tech amp right after that and i really liked that the mig 100 Mm -hmm. um and then, but it kept breaking down on me. Like literally one summer it broke down three times and I think I just got a bad one. And, uh, so I, I moved that and got rid of it and, uh, spent all, I saved up all of my money from the whole tour that we did in the summer to buy a Mesa Boogie dual rectifier. And I was like, okay, this is going to be the end all of end all amps. This is like, this is what all my favorite bands use, you know, from like Foo Fighters to Blink-182 to, you know, all the legit bands use this. And so I spent all my money on the, the dual rectifier and I played it for almost a year. And I start, this is the first time I started using a rap pedal was I started realizing that for most things, I preferred using the rat pedal into the clean channel of the Mesa Boogie than the the distortion channel on the amp. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting. And the only thing that I really missed was I wanted more top end on the clean channel. And then I felt like the overdrive channel was just, I could turn the top end and the mid range all the way down. And it was just still, or I could turn the mid range wherever. And the top end was just so harsh on any setting. Uh, 
And, but that's why I liked the rat. I felt like I could make the rat sound more even sounding, uh, even through the clean channel of the Mesa boogie. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it goes back pretty far. Uh, so I'll say that. And then, uh, I had that Mesa boogie, not even a year. And I came across, uh, in the music shop below our old rehearsal space in Ohio, I came across a 1972 Marshall super lead, uh, that was, you know, it was, it was $500, you know, back then. And I was like, Oh man. And, uh, the guy that owned the shop was really trying to get me to buy it. And I was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And, and I bought it the day we were leaving for a show and we got to the show and I plugged it in and I turned, played my rat pedal through it. And then I plugged in the Mesa boogie and I was like, Oh yeah, the Marshall is better for what I want to do. The Marshall is, this is, this is exactly, you know, uh, hitting a spot that I have not been able to hit. And, uh, I never played the Mesa Boogie after that. <laughs> I literally never went back to it. Uh, and not that I think it's a horrible sound or a, or a poorly made amp. Uh, I definitely hear people play them all the time, and I think that they sound great. But it's uh, for me, it's it, it felt like the first time that I felt something click for, for me and my sound um, was the rap pedal through that super lead. And is that, once you kind of got that established, was that the... Was that it, or did you did you progress into other things from there? Oh no, no, it's no, it went crazy from there. I mean, yeah, I started getting into uh, you know all sorts of different overdrive and fuzz and delay and uh, reverb pedals and you know just kind of the whole the whole thing. I got into like I would use phaser uh, pedals, and that's on our on our 2004 album. Mm-hmm. You can hear phaser all over that record. And it's because it was one of the only effects that I had at the time. Uh, but do you remember what pedal that into, was? Uh, yeah, it was just the, the classic orange phase 90. Oh, gotcha. Uh, and then right after that record, I had a, uh, I, I did a modified version of that pedal and basically just made it more subtle, uh, more like a phase 45, but even, you know, just kind of like a little less on the blend side. Right. Um, but, you know, it's it's funny. I said this a few years ago that, you know, I've been into guitar effects basically my entire career as a, as a musician, but I feel like I've only really been able to use them... Uh, I feel like I've only been able to use them well in the last three or four years, <laughs> or uh, I've I've only been able to use them. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word that is that I'm thinking of, uh, like competently, or uh, like, or like you know, no, with like an understanding, more like of, more like with what it's doing, maybe. Yeah, more like with class. Uh, more like <laughs> I've only been able to use them. Uh, yeah, I I don't I don't know exactly the word that I'm thinking of, but it's uh it's it's been a journey is what I'm saying, you know, and I started, you know, we started with the metal zone. My first pedal was actually the DOD grunge pedal and I wish I still had that one. I keep thinking I always think of buying another Those one. Those things are cool. Uh, just I don't care what to, anyone says. Just to be able to plug yeah. one in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I've got one. It's out on uh, loan right now, but I I got it I bought it kind of as as a joke a little bit. Like, haha, the grunge pedal. Mm-hmm. And I just grabbed one because it was cheap. And I got home, plugged it in. I was like, oh, no, yeah. this thing can rip. Like, I like it. It's fun. That's yes. awesome. Good. That's Find awesome. yourself one. You'll, you'll, you'll be glad you did. 
Yeah, I just, I remember being in the music shop and I didn't know anything from anything, but the guy said, this is the most gain of any pedal that we have in the shop. And I said, that's the one I want. Of course. <laughs> of course. You know, to play through, to play through my solid state Fender amp that I had at the time, you know, <laughs> just ridiculousness. It's just uh, good science. If, yeah. if you hear, our first album is called, well, it's not even officially released, but it's called All Work and No Play. And I was playing, that was my setup was the DoD grunge pedal through a uh, solid state fender amp and it sound the guitar sound my guitar sounds humorous uh it sounds like a kazoo you know <laughs> there's like no low end and it's just all gain uh and it's funny that like i would end up being the one out of our band like to kind of like chase down uh the tone side of things but yeah i mean i can always remember i can remember our bass player saying you know he was like noticing when we were first you know, before we were even on the on the road, really, and he would always say, "Man, I love how you take time to like listen, and you're always tweaking your amp, and you're always like doing this." And and I I started I would go over to him, uh, and then later when we do fly shows and things like that, and I would always go over to him and help him tweak in his bass amp uh, to where it sounded good. And then I started, you know, I would go over to Matt, our singer, and I would help him. You know, he would play, and I would just turn all the knobs on the amp until it sounded good. And I just started like. Uh, developing that as a skill because I liked doing it and I felt uh, I was good at it. You know, I felt, uh, and I just, and I just appreciate the gear side of things. Uh, I appreciate like the feeling that I get and I, I'm not really sentimental towards gear. Uh, there, there's really not many pieces that I own that I have any kind of attachment to. Uh, there are some things that would be way harder to replace uh, if at all, um, able to replace. Um, but even that is more of a, it's less of an emotional attachment and more of a, uh, you know, just, it would be difficult to uh, process to try to replace this thing. You know, it's like I, the physicality side of it. Um, but the thing that I love about gear, the thing that I have always attached to uh, is um, picking up something playing something uh whether it's an amp guitar uh pedal an effect uh you know any kind of thing that is uh part of you playing the guitar part of you playing your instrument um i love picking up something that inspires me that makes me want to play a certain way uh i love turning on a pedal that makes me just you know you turn on a fuzz pedal and you just kind of want to like do different things than if you turned on a tube screamer style or an overdrive. Uh, I love picking up uh, like an old Les Paul Jr. And you just like want to play power chords and like play Green Day songs and do what, you know, like do whatever. <laughs> and then uh, I, but I also love picking up like a, like an old sixties Jaguar jazz master. And you just like want to turn the reverb all the way up and like, you know, use the tremolo bar on it. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's the part of gear that I've always loved. And I also love the idea of picking up an instrument or a piece of gear and making, and somehow inspiring or making you even just want to play. Uh, I love that side of it. Like where you just, you plug something in and there's the excitement of something new, but also it's just like, Oh, I just want to play guitar when I, when I use this. Uh, so that's that's always been like the exciting part of gear to me. I I totally understand that, and I just had one of those moments yesterday. Actually, um, I borrowed a I borrowed a Chase Bliss Thermae um, from 
Yeah, I haven't played oh, that one man. yet. Oh man, it's I thought I knew it was going to be cool, right? Cuz all their stuff's cool. I've always liked their pedals yeah. and I you know, Joel's amazing. Um but that one is one of the first ones in a while that I've really zoned out on and like, "Oh, where'd the time go?" And <laughs> I borrowed mm-hmm. it from Chris over at Benson Amps and he was like, "Here, you need to play this cuz you haven't played it yet." And I need to get some things done and can't stop playing it. So you t- take this yeah. away from me for a little bit. <laughs> and so uh, I was like, oh, yeah, it's a, it looks like a cool pedal. And I know it's going to be rad. But just like you said, I just I was like, oh, where did the time go? I've been in I've been in, yeah, yeah, in this thing. Like you want to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. That is what is good and about I gear. Think, You're right. I think the other side of gear to me, too, is like me knowing that when I'm playing guitar on a track or we're working on a song or I'm uh, even writing something, I know that I'm going to approach it differently if I, depending on what guitar I choose to pick up. And that's kind of exciting. I think that's kind of like fun, you know, to think, oh, if I pick up a Stratocaster here, this song may end up differently. You know, like I may want to play. And if I pick up the jazz master, I may want it, this song may get super angular and like I might start using the tremolo bar, you know, like I just know this about myself. Uh, whereas I pick up a Les Paul or 335 or, you know, an instrument like that, it will kind of have a, a different character, mm-hmm. you know. Do you purposely select things like say you got a you guys are working on a song or 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 you're working on something by yourself, whatever the case may be, do you purposely go, I kind of want this vibe, so I'm going to grab X, Y, Z, you know, pieces of gear, because I know that I respond in this manner, like like you just said. Mm-hmm. You Will you purposely definitely, seek that out? Definitely, yeah. I do that, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm really into themes as well. So, uh, like, when I think through songs, I a lot of times we'll make notes and I'll actually write them down. Like when I'm working on a song or on a demo of a song and I'll say on the recording, this is what I want to try. And usually the thing that I wrote down that I want to try ends up working. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I, I just like that whole process. And I like, I like how albums tend to have themes, you know, uh, like when I think back to our mm-hmm album, uh, you know, even though I was using a rat a, a lot in general, uh, that was the first time that it was the rat was the sound of that record, and it was really the rat through that that Marshall Super Lead uh, is on every single track on that on that recording, and it just became a thing. Like I was literally not even turning the knobs really between songs, uh, and we wanted to have that. Uh, that kind of feel. Whereas, you know, if we look at like our last album air for free, I used a lot of a vintage tube screamer, a lot of a fender tank reverb, uh, uh, some smaller old amps, uh, and just like kind of classics, uh, you know, as far as that goes. And, uh, that, that's kind of what I think of when I think of our last record, I think of like fendery guitars and kind of like, overdrivey uh almost like surf kind of feel in my mind that's it that's very interesting um so so yeah i like the uh i i love the idea of themes i love the idea of 
taking a taking gear and putting it into a category of themes you know so like on on air for free our last record i think i only used a rap pedal maybe twice on the entire recording um even though that has been such a signature part of my sound uh it, it just never really went there not not that often right. sometimes you need to mix it up a little bit it's yeah exactly especially yeah. when you've been doing it for a while that that's <laughs> Yeah, so uh, even even gear wise, you know, asking about being into gear, you know, I've always uh, been interested in it, but I definitely go through seasons of, you know, I've gone through four or five years without really buying a single thing, and I've gone through one year of buying a hundred things and selling eighty of them back, and like you know, like just constant. It's just this constant uh, movement of pieces and trying to find something and just being really interested reading reviews being on the gear page or whatever you know uh trying to always track down whatever's happening yeah i i i'm such a i'm such a gear hoarder like i have a really hard time uh selling oh it's interesting yeah i have a a really hard time selling anything like i'll i'll try to like i mean i'm i'm to a point now and I've, i've been saying this for a little while but there, I've only sold one guitar, and I've talked about it on the show mm-hmm. a couple times. But I, I desperately wish I wouldn't have sold that guitar. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, it, it, yeah, wow. and and I, it's not an expensive guitar. It was just this uh, cheap, like old Japanese short scale, and it was called a marquee. You know, it was probably I don't know who made it specifically, but it was really yeah. unique. Had like four pickups, and it was this weird thing. And I sold it. It pl- it actually played really good, which is you know kind of an anomaly sometimes with those those kind of instruments. And uh, I kick myself because I can't find it now. Like I can't find another one of those. I can huh. find Harmony Bobcats and stuff like all day long, but I can't find this weirdo. Yeah. Um, but now I'm start. Oh, dude, yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> well, I'm starting to have this vibe with my. I have a '65 Melody Maker that needs some it needs some love and it's needed some for a while but it's just it's not getting played at like at all all my other guitars get played on a regular basis this one has just kind of mm-hmm. been and it's it's there it's just as accessible and so i keep having this nagging feeling yeah. like i should probably get rid of it but am i gonna am i gonna regret it again i don't know um yeah oh it's super interesting to me i feel like a turning point for me was when uh my first good guitar, you know, so before then I had had like, I had like a Samick SG copy, you know, like just garbage, uh, instruments. Uh, and, uh, when we first got our first advance for our first record, (laughs) um, we went to guitar center and I bought a standard American telly and that was my only guitar for about the next five years. I it, I literally would keep like a pack of strings on top of my amp in case I broke one during the show because I would, I just didn't have another guitar, mm-hmm. and uh, so that guitar I felt like I just been through thick and thin with that guitar. I had all sorts of different pickups in it. I had changed the pick guard on it. I felt like I it was my guitar. I felt like very connected to it uh, on a deeper level, if you will, uh, and. We were working on music at Matt's house. It was right after he had moved to Nashville. This is probably like nine years ago or so, nine or 10. And 
he had some people over, had a party at his house or something, and I had left my guitar in his music room. And someone stole his laptop and my guitar out of his room. And I was super bummed. I was like, I tried to tell him, like, I was like, oh, it's no big deal. It's just a guitar, you know, whatever. But I'm like, oh, I felt so sick about it. I felt like, you know, of all the guitars that were going to get stolen, like, that's maybe the one that I would be actually bummed about. And I did feel bummed about it. Uh, But... You know, I try. I I just didn't really talk to him about it, and you know, I don't want him to feel bad. I didn't feel like it was his fault. Uh, but I feel like after that point, I started just seeing gear a little bit differently. We also had a bus fire not long after that, uh, where we were driving down the road and our bus caught on fire, and most of our trailer. Burned oh, jeez! Whoa! And we lost a decent amount of gear there as well. Uh, and but i remember that being easier because i was already like well i lost my favorite guitar so like all this is replaceable it's whatever you know so maybe i started seeing things a little differently at that point um because i I don't feel like there's anything i necessarily feel like i need to hold on to uh or i can't exist as a guitar you know there's there's nothing i feel like is uh like a must and actually those times when i feel like I start selling the most gear, you know, I'll list 20 or 30 pedals at a time sometimes. And, you know, I'll sell guitars. And I feel like sometimes when I'm trying to get rid of the stuff the most, it's like I'm on reverb or something. And I'll start seeing other cool <laughs> things and buying more things. And I'm just like, oh, what am I doing? You know, like, it's like this funny uh, back and forth where, uh, to me, it's, it's way more so it's not about keeping something because it's the best or because it's really good it's about keeping something if it's being used and inspiring you uh if it's being uh played and you know i just got rid of two guitars that were similar to the one you were talking about one was a 1961 supro guitar that i've had for a long time and really enjoy uh and another one's a 64 silver tone that i had and I played a lot of both of those guitars. These two were pretty special to me. Like, they they played awesome. But after the second time of getting them set up, after maybe pulling them out uh, once in the last year, uh, I decided that it was time for a new home for them. And it wasn't that I needed the money. It wasn't that I... It was taking up all this space and cluttering. Uh, it was mainly to me at that point that it was... I feel like someone else could play these guitars. These are amazing guitars and I'm just not playing them. And actually all I'm doing is spending money on the upkeep of these instruments, you know? Uh, so that's, that's where I that's, felt better that's about moving. Them. Sort of, uh, sort of where I'm at with this one. Like it's a good guitar. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I understand. Yeah. I understand your, your plate. I've been in this uh, space before and I typically sell. I sell I sell when I need to, uh, and I like that because then if I were to come across a guitar later, I think, oh, well, I sold that one and this one, so I can totally just buy this one now and not think about it. You know, that's kind of my uh, yeah my thought. Process I need to work on that. I just I just hoard, I just hoard and hoard and hoard, and you oh, know, yeah, and yeah. my solution is not let's get rid of some of this stuff. It's well, that's what's actually kind of different for me. Um, than maybe some other people is I do hoard, but the majority of my stuff does get, does get played fairly regularly. I play, you know, I play almost every night. 
and yeah, and, and yeah, I try great. different things. I try weird things, um, you know, and and so it's not very common for something to sit for you know six months without having having been touched. It's it's pretty that's pretty rare, and that's what's happened with this with this melody maker. It's it's sat for yeah. probably about six months, and I haven't really had the urge to to play mm-hmm. it. And I'm like, hmm, I used to play this thing all the time. Maybe I just need mm-hmm. to. I, I keep thinking probably what I should do is get it set up, get the new bridge put on it that it needs and then decide like, maybe that will make me start playing it again. Cause it does need a new bridge. Yeah. Um, it's, it's got this, it, I bought it with this jankity hmm. kind of knockoff. I can't remember like what it is, but it, it doesn't work. It needs, it needs replaced. So I wonder if I get it, get it changed. If, whether I need yeah. to sell it or whether I need to, I decide to keep it, I should, get it fixed up because whoever gets it, it's going to want it to work better. So. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of where I start on a lot of them is I get them set up or, uh, taken care of, uh, serviced in whatever way. And then, and then I decide, you know, if, uh, so another example, I have a, uh, Japanese, uh, Fender baritone guitar that I bought years ago because we were doing a, a song that mm-hmm. we, were, we were trying to do it super low tuned for whatever reason. And so I bought this baritone guitar and it's very cool. It's like black it plays really nice. Um, and they don't really make them anymore. I don't, I don't often see them come up and they're not like crazy expensive uh, instruments. Um, but it was the similar kind of thing where I was like, oh, this has been sitting. I haven't touched this guitar in four years. I let my friend borrow it for a year and a half, you know, like that kind of thing. Uh, and so I got it set up and I brought it back home and I immediately wrote a song on it. You know, it was like I picked it up after getting it set up and I wrote a song on it just right away. And I was like, oh, I guess I'll keep it. <laughs> like, uh, it was just like it. It, I connected right. with it in a different way. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'm, I can use this one now. I will keep this one now. Um, but it was funny because I hadn't played it for four years, you know? So I don't know. It kind of goes back to that, like, uh, you know, will, will you wish that you never sold that one special thing? Because maybe even 10 years down the road, you'll get it set up and fall in love with it again. Maybe, I don't know. But uh, I try to not think about it. <laughs> I probably think about oh, it yeah, too totally. much. That's 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 well, the issue. Different. I uh uh I, that's true. No, we're I'm we're weird. weird. I know Anyone I'm weird. As long as I'm obsessed with with instruments like this is it, it's it's a weirdness. <laughs> so I think we can all relate to each other in that way. Oh, for sure. Yeah, my wife has uh gotten to, you know, be around a lot more of, you know, musicians and guys like me just through doing these type of things. And she's always just like, you're all, you're all the same. (laughs) We're nerding Uh out about, you know, different things and guitars fading to, you know, from Pelham blue to green and like all this stuff. And she's like, I just can't believe it. How excited you guys get about this stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, it is, it's, I'm not trying to justify it. It's weird but I like it. So it's fine. Yeah. I feel like that. Uh, I think the often partners are in that scenario. Uh, but I even think about it with like the singer or the drummer of our band, you know, they always, they always know, they always kind of joke around, you know, if, uh, we're on tour with another band, they're like, Oh, you're the gear guy. You're going to talk to, to Matt over here. Cause, 
and they and they just like don't understand it they're just like it just doesn't matter it's not part of my uh my world you know (laughs) so so i haven't i haven't dealt with is the variety of or not dealt with but like interacted with the variety of drummers that you probably have through being on tour i would imagine that drummers would nerd out on the different aspects of their kit just as much is that generally not the case uh no i think it just depends it's just like guitar you know everyone approaches it differently um i do think with drums there is just more gear and like there's more there's more physicality to it uh there's more like know-how and tweaking and tuning and uh uh i think there's more physicality to the sound um of course you kind of you kind of have to have a little bit of like manual knowledge of what you're doing think a lot of times guitar players can like uh barely tune an instrument you know we always joked about that like when gibson went to the you know the robot tuning uh guitars <laughs> and we're like oh that's like the lead singer guitar you know it's like the the guy who can barely plug in his instrument and that's not to say he's a bad player uh but you know just has a very limited know-how but it seems like if, if you're a drummer you're you're kind of like required to uh understand how things are working yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know, especially because, um, I mean, not that guitar isn't, but the drums are so personalized, you know, I, I'm yeah, not a drummer, yeah. but I've sat behind a kit a couple of times and it's just like every one I've sat behind, you know, it's like, I'll have to adjust it a little bit mm-hmm. and I don't even really know yeah. what I'm doing. I just know it doesn't, I can't hit it that way. Uh-huh. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's weird, but, um, definitely. Well, we should be talking about some some other things that you have you've been cooking uh cooking up lately. Well, actually it's been a a long time coming. Um why don't we talk about 1981 Adventures and how that came to be and what it is and all that stuff. Yeah, let's jump in. Uh I had this idea for a guitar pedal. Um I met Jono from Bondi FX uh while we were on the road. He was a friend of a friend in Kentucky. We were playing a show in Kentucky, and my amp had gone down at Soundcheck. It, I, I don't remember what happened. It was some sort of power surge in the building or something. And it literally, I've never seen this in my life. It literally cracked the tubes of my amp. And uh, it was not usable. Uh, and just had completely fried every every tube in the amp. And so I was trying to get them get that sorted before the show, and it was becoming difficult. So I called my buddy that lived locally that I knew was a guitar player and had a bunch of gear, and I said, hey, do you have anything I can use tonight? And and he was like, oh, I'm out of town, but my buddy has, has something. He'd be happy to loan you an amp for the night. And it was John from Bondi FX. And so he came down, and he, he was very kind and uh, let me borrow uh, – matchless or i can't remember what the amp was it was a very nice amp though and i was very thankful and uh you know just trying to talk to him for a bit and he was like oh i'm actually working on a pedal for myself uh let me let me bring it in and uh i'd love to get your thoughts on it or i'd love to give you one and i said hey man i'm like super burned out on boutique gear in general right now i just kind of been through the ringer with uh you know, feeling like boutique gear was just not thought through, that it was just doing something inherently wrong to my signal, that it was breaking all the time. Uh, I don't I was kind of like actually a little bit against it at the time, the idea of something being handmade and using it on stage. And Interesting. Uh, 
it was so it was a funny time so he brought that up to me and i just said you know what i'm not i'm not interested i'm happy to plug it in and give you my thoughts on it but that's that's all i can promise you and he started explaining to me what it was and that it was, you know, based on the clan and how he'd done different things. And I was like, Oh no, that sounds interesting. Cause there weren't a lot of people that I knew of at the time doing this. Uh, and I was like, Oh, that I no, I'm interested to plug it in. And, uh, that was an early version of the sick as, and I plugged it in and I was like, Holy crap, this is great. I love this. I connect this. This sounds different than the clan to me, but cool. And I used it that night and I used it the rest of the tour and it's still on my board, you know? So like, that was just like something where I connected with John on a personal level, but really where I connected him with him was, uh, hearing the circuit that he made and really, uh, being able to appreciate that and you know, just kind of have that common bond with him in that way. Um, but we've been friends, you know, for a long time, you know, six years or so now. And, uh, so shortly after that, I started talking about the sick as, and he was like, man, I think you've sold a ton of that pedal for me. I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> he was like, but people seem to know, notice what you're doing. And, uh, and I was like, Hey man, we should do, we should do a pedal through Bondi that is, you know, kind of like my kind of vibe. I had never, uh, thought about designing a pedal myself. Um, at the time, I was only doing, uh, you know, I'd done a few, like, build-your-own-clone kits and things like that. Uh, I'd done a couple, like, rat mods on previous things. Um, but I'd never done, I'd never thought about designing my own guitar pedal. And I was like, well, obviously, he would be better at it than me. And he was like, well, no, I've got another idea. Uh, why don't I just help you engineer a guitar pedal. Why don't I help you figure it out and I'll teach you how to do it and we'll like kind of walk through it together. And I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds really interesting. So we started on this journey uh, about four years ago from now uh, and just started the process of talking about where we were going to go, uh, breadboarding, you know, doing actual, like starting to lay out circuits, starting to do tweaks, uh, in the first year, I think we did four different uh, fully formed prototypes, like to the point where we were ordering circuit boards, to the point where we were uh, feeling like maybe this was close enough to release. And each time that we got close, I, we both actually kind of, uh, we, we've always kind of agreed on things very, very uh, fluidly, but we both, uh, even at that time, would we'd get a circuit board done we'd do some tweaks on it and then both of us would be like uh you know what the this is just really wrong we need to start over you know <laughs> kind of thing and so we kept doing that we kept doing that and it just kind of stayed on the back burner as like this fun thing that i would tweak around with when we had some time off from the road or uh other things and then uh john and i moved back to australia about two years ago or so and we just stopped working on it and he called me again uh the end of last summer or early fall of last year and said hey let's finish this via facetime and from there is really where the pedal started uh taking uh on its own form uh really becoming something new and unique and interesting and uh 
from the things that we were doing at that point uh, is really when the pedal became what it is today, and it's releasable. And yeah, it's it seems like I f- it first came on my radar, like, I don't know, shortly after you guys started working on it, maybe maybe, through, maybe right after when you still had that raw, like, handmade steel case. Yeah, yeah. You remember? Yeah. I mean, that what, was probably what? exactly three years ago. Yeah, I think it was right around Summer Nam that I finished that. Yep. Uh, and I remember, I remember talking to you about it right yep. around that time too. And then, yeah, it's I, I, it came out again recently. I was like, oh yeah, I thought like for some reason in my head, like at one point I thought it had already came out, and then it hadn't. It was like you probably got questions on it all the time because it seemed like there was a lot of people talking about it, you know, peripherally. Is is that? Yeah, it's. I I'd, uh, hit on this a little bit earlier, but uh, when I started doing it, it um, or when when we got to a point where I thought it would be a little bit close, uh, I thought I was one revision away, and this is probably three years ago now. Uh, I started an Instagram page, and I, you know, just because I wanted to document what was happening, I wanted to show the process of breadboarding trying new things prototyping this the just the different phases of behind the scenes i thought that would be like an interesting look or for even to someone to be able to go back and see where where it all came from uh and i felt like that added a certain level of legitimacy not in uh trying to force legitimacy but just saying like hey this is like a this is a thing that we put some serious effort into this into this process uh and here is kind of a documentation of that process and it it's funny because it became a little bit even as we as I neared the completion of this, it became a little bit of a sore spot for me to think about the social media element because it was like I I was actually doing more than I had ever done and I didn't want to post about it at all because I feared every single time I would post about it that I would have ten people commenting or messaging me just saying, When are you actually gonna release this, this is the most ridiculous thing? I'm unfollowing you. You know, like <laughs> people would just kind of like angrily come at me and I'm like, you know what, you're totally right. This has taken way too long and it's been all hype and no delivery, no physicality. Uh, and so I, I would rarely, rarely post on social media because I didn't want any backlash. And so I said, you know, even when it started getting closer and it started, you know, getting to the point where I was uh, making finished units, uh, I was skeptical towards posting because I, I didn't have anything to offer. Uh, so I definitely feel more thankful now and validated in that, uh, just actually being able to release a product that I feel like is, uh, thoughtful and tested and unique. Uh, and I don't know, I'm really proud of it on a lot of levels. Yeah. Well, you should be. I thought they turned out great. Um, they look, they look beautiful. I know that's something that you put a lot of time into thinking about and, um, and making sure that it all got right. And I, I just, uh, I know it took a long time, but I think people will appreciate the result of all that. And so far, the feedback that I've heard has been pretty, pretty good. So, yeah, and I definitely needed to get you one. I would love to hear what you think of, of the sound of it. Uh, when we had started this phase of the process, I was legitimately, my only goal was recreating my 1985 Whiteface Rat. And where it went from there, and, uh, 
was not I, I didn't want to do any of the rat mods i'd done all of the rat mods and i had owned all of the you know the keely mods and the brian wampler mods and and those are all like really great uh but it was when I bought this vintage one, this one certain year, I was like, oh, this this is the one I connect with the most out of all of these. And it's this old, unmodified one. And what is the magic here? So we started doing all this research into, like, what was making it different um, sonically. And, you know, even versus the reissue of that white-faced rat. Like, what makes the reissue sound different? Uh, and how can we... And, and that was even like where the name started coming to be uh, was this kind of like throwback. I wanted to create products that felt like a unique vintage pedal. Uh, and th- those were things I was excited by. And I, I didn't want to do any of the traditional mods. And I don't think that we've done any as far as I know. Um, but the pedal has become something more unique. It's uh, become highly... Uh, highly tweaked on a lot of levels and some of the tweaks that we did uh brought results that were unexpected um and i'll say this especially in the low gain character of the of the drive uh i think is very unique i've never heard anything that sounds quite like it uh do do i think it's reinventing the wheel no do i think it is a essentially a rat pedal yeah and i'm very straightforward about that but to me it sounds different and it actually sounds different enough that my plan all along was to replace the rat pedal on my board and when we finished this product uh we finished this project when we finished the design of it sonically and i started playing it you know on my personal pedal board uh I didn't replace the rat because I was like, oh, I think it actually sounds different enough that I actually still want the rat sound on my board and I want to use this for something different. Um, so I think that that felt like just, it, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, I'll say that. So I was, I was very thankful for that uh, turn of events. That's really interesting. Um, well, what do we, I, I, I could be just ignorant to this, but what are we, what are we actually calling the pedal itself i i may have glossed over oh that. yeah i i actually don't really have a name for it but it's I, i'm just calling it drv which is uh so there's three controls on it there's drv there's cut which is a high cut essentially a modified rat filter uh i was kind of kind of going on the vox name and then um vol for volume uh so it's uh I'm just calling the pedal DRV right now. Uh, the DRV, I don't know. I don't even really know. And it's funny because there's no branding on the pedal, and I wanted it to be that way. I wanted it to be minimal, like a little bit mysterious, but almost like so minimal that it's like funny. You know, like it doesn't even say nine volt uh, on the top, even though it is nine volt power. It doesn't say, it doesn't even say in or out on the pedal. You know, it says it in the manual. Uh, but I didn't want to put anything that didn't have to be on the pedal. Uh, on the pedal so technically yeah there's no name and when i figure out how to release other designs and other pedals uh, i'm gonna have to figure out how to uh how to differentiate those that segues nicely into uh a next question i had which is was there plans for other designs and i you just kind of answered it. it sounds like there is oh yeah yeah there's always been other plans i mean really we switched gears by going to the rat recreation um 
we were like, okay, this was always one of our ideas. Let's just, let's just chase down that, you know? So I'd love to continue working with Jono. I know it's a little bit difficult because he's in Australia. Um, but, and really John has helped me so much, uh, to become more self-sufficient, uh, in my abilities. And, you know, I, I always say everything I've learned, he's taught me, (laughs) you know, kind of thing, uh, as far as design and building and, you know, just, uh, that entire side of it. But yeah, I have probably 10 or 15 other, uh, like outside, uh, outside loop ideas. And I probably have three or four pretty good, pretty thought out, uh, ideas that I would like to uh, start chasing down as quickly as possible. Um, the first one that I'll probably do is uh, so part of of the sound of this pedal is uh, a preamp going into a rap pedal. So that's what's built into the DRV is a essentially a boost pedal hitting the front end of the rat, which to me fixes some of the issues with the rat fixes some of the perceived low end it just makes it sound better to me uh it just changes the character of the pedal and so that was always something that i wanted to include uh in my version of the rat uh and you know subsequently uh a rat sounds very different when you turn a boost on and off in front of it uh whereas my pedal doesn't really sound that different it sounds like you can you can hear the added gain stage but uh, tonally speaking, it sounds about the same. And so on my personal board, I actually decided to put my pedal before the boost pedal because I like to leave it on uh, for the most part. And uh, so, you know, I've always been really into boost pedals. Uh, I've owned almost everyone that you can own. And uh, (laughs) that is is the next thing that I'm chasing down. And I was originally thinking that I would just release essentially the boost section of this pedal. But as I, as I get closer to that idea, I'm, you know, kind of being inspired by some other things, some other vintage uh, kind of circuits. And, you know, I'm interested in chasing down the idea of making those, uh, bringing those into the modern era and making those kind of more viable and really just good sounding, you know, like I, I don't think, I think boost of all things is like, you know, you're clearly not reinventing the wheel. Uh, but it's just offering the correct tone shaping options with, uh, you know, whatever you can do. Uh, it's just it's just making it sound good, you know. So that's that's going to be my, my next thing that I chase down. Well, very cool. We'll have to. Uh... It's just it's just a very simple boost, and then you know from there we'll go uh, fuzz overdrive. You know, and I have some other kind of really wacky ideas from there. Mm, fuzz, my favorite. <laughs> Oh, yes. that's cool. You'll have to keep me posted on all that. I, I, I'm excited to see what you're doing. I'm excited that this thing's yeah, seeing the light of day and uh, all that. Uh, yeah, honestly, I, I would love to uh, get your thoughts on how this one sounds. Uh, I am very proud of it. I think it sounds, if nothing else, it sounds unique. Uh, it sounds specific. Um, it sounds uh, refined in a certain way like to me when i plug this pedal in i i feel like it doesn't hit that that fear that i had uh, or that bad taste that i had of boutique pedals of feeling like 
oh, this isn't quite thought through. Or maybe there's like a high-end frequency coming through in my guitar right now that's just screwing everything up. That was, you know, so this one feels like it's been through the process of, uh, you know, it's it's been thought through. I, I, I would say, based on what you've just kind of told us here, is I think that's, it's probably its best quality is it's been very well thought through in just about every exactly, aspect. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny and like, I'm, you know, I'm learning, uh, but I figured out, uh, you know, that we were having an issue with the switch. Uh, you know, this is like two months before the release and we had to figure out how to, how to fix that and how to fix the whole switching system and make sure that it was quiet and make sure that my soldering was good enough to, make sure that we wouldn't have any issues and that it was grounding properly. And, um, you know, I, I can definitely thank a lot of friends, uh, for helping me along the way, you know, Grant from big ear pedals, uh, Zach from mythos pedals. Um, and then obviously, you know, Jono and, um, from Bondi. So, mm-hmm. well, that's awesome. Very awesome. Yeah. So so we, it's, we, it's been a, been a good time. So we we've are reaching uh reaching the hour mark and we haven't yet delved into the the most important question that that I always ask the guests. Hit me with it. It's a big deal. I hope you're it's it might be a little bit personal, but you know, most people seem to be able to handle All it right, after a few tears. Um what kind of pizza do you like? Oh my goodness. Uh man, I like almost all pizzas. Oh yeah, I'm, uh, I'm with you. What's your favorite? Though? I think if I, I think I'm just a classic pepperoni guy. That's it. Thin crust, thick crust. New York. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean this is this is important. We can't uh, just call it a no, day. No, prob- probably thin thin crust. New York. Yeah, definite. Yeah. You have a specific pizzeria that you like the best. Uh, there's one in Nashville called five points pizza. That is probably the closest thing to New York style, um, that I go to a lot. All right. And you can also get it by the slice at whenever you need it. And, uh, it's, it's really good. And I, I so very often need it. So I'll be headed down there in a few weeks. I'll, I'll be sure to check out five points. Yeah, definitely. Definitely check it out. There's a couple other great places that are kind of like very traditional Italian, you know, they'll use like the volcanic stone and, you know, stuff like that, which I also think is really great. So it uh, is a place called DeSano's that is phenomenal. Uh, yeah, I I can, I can put you in the right direction for some pizza. I'll hit you up. I, I'm gonna need I'm yeah. gonna need pointed in, in the right way for the good pie. That's where I'm. I'm always seeking definitely, out the food. Definitely. At all times, I can uh, I can give you some taco recommendations, some barbecue. Talking about Mos Tacos I'll, I'll Por Oh yeah, you know I'm talking about that. Yeah, it's so <laughs> no, that's, good. That's the best one. I love yeah. that one. It is a it is a hidden gem. Like when I remember the first time going there because I've lived in East Nashville actually, where that is uh, for. 10 or 11 years or so now mm-hmm. and i remember the first time i went there and i was like why have i never gone here before i can't believe i've never gone here. you know i'd spent years of not going there it's but like when they good. first opened they've always been cash only and when they first opened they were open like three or four days a week from like noon to three you know it was like very <laughs> limited and uh and then they also had a food truck so it was like whenever you saw the food truck or you'd have to follow them on twitter and see where the food truck was at so it was just kind of difficult to go there right off the gate good times i'll be hitting that up again for sure for oh sure. definitely well it, 
Well, uh, not to invite myself, but if you uh, <laughs> if you go there, let me know. <laughs> no problem. We'll do. Um, so for the final little last moment, uh, do you have uh, where can people find you? What here's your chance to put up a billboard? Where uh, what? Where's all your information? Oh man, my stuff's pretty easy. It's just it's just basically on all social medias. It's at nineteen eighty one inventions. Uh, you can email me. You can find me at nineteen eighty one inventions dot com. Uh, I actually plan on putting a couple blog kind of uh, entries up there. You know, just talking about things. Some of the things we've talked about in my past what has brought this pedal to be in existence, why it's different than a rat, why, yes, if you're, if you, you know, I had this conversation with the kid on Instagram yesterday where, you know, he was saying, oh, great, you made an expensive rat. And I was like, no, I actually like, if you want to buy a rat pedal, please go buy one. That's one of my favorite pedals ever. Uh, You know, like this, this sounds different. And, uh, you know, uh, not trying to sell anything. If you want it, get it. If you don't. If you want it, get it. So, but yeah, that's uh, you know I wanted to start using my website more to uh, not only to sell my product in the short term, but to uh, you know just kind of like communicate and uh, kind of continue to tell the story on like a bigger arc of what's happening. Obviously, there's there's people that are very interested into the stories behind things because that's why this podcast exists. So um, I think I think that's a good thing to do. Yeah, for sure, exactly. But, you know, thank you very much for coming on, taking the time. I really appreciate it, and I've been wanting to do this for a long time. For sure. Thanks for having me. Right on. Well, hit me up when you're in town. Will do. All right. So, for Matt, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. That was uh, that was just a lot of fun. I had a good time talking to Matt. You may have picked up on the fact that that was actually kind of pre my Nashville trip. And I did get to hang out with him for a while and kind of see his process and check out his treasure trove of gear that he has, uh, there in Nashville it was pretty, pretty epic. And, uh, he has a, uh, he has a 70, I think a 73, I can't remember exactly what year might've been, might've been a different year, but a seventies telly deluxe with the wide range humbucker in the neck and the bridge. And Oh man, that thing was one of the coolest sounding guitars I've ever, ever played. Further, further deepened my love for the wide range humbucker. Now I like, I need to get a guitar that has, has two instead of just the, the single that I currently have. But all that aside, check out 1981inventions.com. The pedal's really cool. I now have one and I got to play it and I really, really like it. I, I'm like he talks about on the episode. I'm really surprised at the low gain character of the thing. That is not at all what I anticipated liking it for, but it it sounds awesome at lower gain settings and is very sensitive, and I don't know. I think they did a great job on it. It's one of the prettiest pedals I've ever seen. Um, I, can't, I can't seem to take a good picture of it, but when you have it in front of you, it's like, wow, this thing is, is gorgeous. They really put a lot of time into the aesthetic, which, you know, some people don't care about, but I do. So, whatever. So, let's see. Any housekeeping we gotta do think we're good. If you need a little more Tone Mob in your life, of course, there's the Patreon page. So you can go to patreon.com slash Tone Mob. And there's, you know, several hours. Uh, I think we're on eight episodes now. So there's there's hours of listening over there. If you need more additional content, it's generally 
me and my good friend Justin Porter shooting the breeze in the shred shed. So it's a little bit different vibe than what you're used to, but it's 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 been really fun. So last time was a reverb shootout. This time was a little more of our just a gear nerding conversation, I believe, is what's going to correspond with, with this particular episode. So patreon.com slash tone mob to check that out. And let's see, what else? Yeah, you may remember like the last couple weeks I've been asking just to tell a friend. And that's that's all I would need. If you could just tell a friend, somebody you think would be interested in this, you know, if you could personally, like literally go tell them, I think that has a lot more meaning to it than sometimes sharing on Facebook or some of these other places. Not that that isn't extremely helpful as well, but if you got somebody, maybe you're a, maybe your local guitar tech, maybe who knows? I don't know. You know somebody probably in your guitar you know, lives that might enjoy some of these ramblings. And if you do, please share that with them. It would mean everything to me. So until next time, have a good week and keep it on the fuzzy side. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com slash StringJoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings So why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com slash StringJoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.